0: Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Shift with CJ podcast. This podcast is special and why is it special? Because unlike other podcasts we're doing this live. Right from the biohacker studio, and I have someone special with me on the show today. My guest on the show today is well, I don't have words to describe her. She's a yogi, she's so intelligent, she's been a friend for a while. She does all these crazy acrobats like yoga, but like in a different way, and um, just a great human to talk to. We've been thinking about uh, getting her on the show for a while now, and finally. Time has come. So I present to you Sarah White.
1: Thanks. You're Hi welcome. guys.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I not you know, I mentioned that Sarah is a friend and normally I only meet Sarah in parties. But um, one of our other common friends and we've been talking about going to one of our classes and that's never happened. So Sarah, I promise I'm going to be coming to one of your classes very soon. You should be. But yeah. yeah,
2: it's weird to see you in this setting. Yeah. It's like now we're <laughs> in the professional personas,
0: right? Well, this <laughs> podcast is quite relaxed. So, you yeah. know, you could use explicit language um, and talk about whatever you want to. Don't worry. Because if you talk about something wrong, we'll just edit it later.
2: <laughs> but it's live. That's where the pressures are,
0: right? Uh, it's okay. Oh, just don't look on that side. Don't look? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so do. tell me, yoga. How did you get into yoga?
2: Oh, good one. Um, I actually started it when I was suffering from really bad anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, 2016, period of my life where I, what's the word? I just felt like I was hollow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was just a shell. And they've come to a point where I couldn't be in a public setting. And when people were looking at me and giving me eye contact, I just thought they were seeing straight through me and they could see they for what a piece of crap I was, right? Mm-hmm. So my self-esteem was low. My anxiety was through the roof. And it was actually my dad. He was like, look, Sarah, you, you need to do something about this. And I always wanted to try yoga. And it's quite funny because a period before that, I was with someone who said, if you do yoga, that's it. We're finished. I'm not going to be with you. Mm-hmm. And so when that ended and I was going through this time, I was like, do you know what? Yeah, no, yoga's now it's time. You know, now it's calling me. And I remember going into my first class and being absolutely petrified. I was in the back corner of the room, but as soon as it started, and as soon as I kind of felt that zoning in, I was like, "Oh, hang on a minute, this is something special." Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started.
0: Okay, so can I ask you why were you facing that kind of an anxiety? Was there an event in your life, or were you, um, you know, you had similar um, feelings when you were growing up? How did that kind of like show up in your life.
2: It's funny because I think growing up when I did the word anxiety wasn't around. It mm-hmm. wasn't something yeah. that was spoken about. I was always shy as a kid and very introverted. Until you know me and then you know that I'm a bit wacko but mm-hmm. um thinking back to like even in my teenage years and stuff and struggling with just being in the crowd of actually just speaking out loud when I was mm-hmm. in even in school settings and stuff. Um and the body systems, like not that I was on the verge of panic attack, but if it was in a public situation, I would be like
0: completely mm. frozen. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: So I think growing up, I definitely had that anxiety. I just didn't know what word to put to mm-hmm. it. Um, and then as I got older, I suppose I was regulating it, but then out of this relationship, which wasn't a very healthy relationship, that's when it kind of took hold of me mm-hmm. when i was no longer a person but instead i was just this anxious mm-hmm. bore. you know what I yeah.
0: mean? and uh, your reaction is quite common which i see these days because yes you're right when we were growing up like around 80s and 90s there wasn't a much focus on mental health neuroscience was still just in its early stages of development so the world didn't really know what's going on in the mind but now what we have seen with all the progress that's happening is that Life's structure depends on basic biological programs, and these biological programs are similar in every human animal, well, a mammal, even in like species of ants and stuff. And one of the reactions that the nervous system has when you are facing a situation which you cannot handle is either to fight that situation, right? So let's say you face a situation where someone's going to attack you. You traditionally like either try to outdominate that opponent you either run away from that opponent but there is another f these are the three f's of life that's flee or freeze yeah so normally people who haven't trained their nervous system enough and people who i speak to who have had some past history of you know either being shy like yourself or not getting always running away from a situation and they don't give their nervous system a a chance to adapt and um Kind of like stand up to that. Mm-hmm. They normally get into the freeze mode, yeah. and that's probably what was happening to you. Hundred
2: percent, and it's funny you are saying that because the yoga that I teach is all about this um, okay. nervous systems. But um, yeah, I'm I'm a was a massive freezer mm-hmm. where I didn't know how to self regulate. I didn't know how to kind of just breathe and pause and respond. So this is when I was like not nah, shut down, mm-hmm. and that was yeah a problem up until even like. Mid twenties that I've been through the yoga and stuff that I've been starting to say ah actually hang on a minute mm-hmm. relax let's see what's going on and then respond rather than complete shutdown of the system.
0: And how many uh, months or years did it take you to kind of see the first level of changes? And I'm asking this because a lot of people today have um, this this mindset that everything should happen instantly, everything should happen in the moment. And uh, what people don't realize is that things take time Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of effort. You might look at someone else and their neurobiology and neurochemistry would be completely different than yours. So just because uh, your neighbor or your friend could do something like easily, doesn't mean that you will go through the same journey. Everyone is in a different journey. So in your journey, how long did it take you effectively to kind of like calm that voice in your head was just saying, people are looking at me right now?
2: Um, probably <clears throat> about a year is when I saw a massive shift in me. You know, like just even my whole demeanor and the way that I was just being able to relax in social settings. Um, but it's funny because I think these journeys as well you don't know how far you are down the road until you get triggered again, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, oh, I feel like I'm fine because mm-hmm. I've kind of shut the world out to work on me. Yeah. And then after the year, you get into different situations and then you start seeing these little flags come up again and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, actually, I thought I was doing well, but let's yeah. go back and kind of reiterate those kind of teachings, yeah, you know?
0: it's funny. It's happened to me a lot of times. Um, like you mentioned, you take yourself out of a situation and then you're just in this four walls and you're telling yourself all these positive affirmations and you're telling yourself how, how well you're doing. And then life happens and then someone throws a lemon at you and then you're like, oh man, I just want to, you know, just, you want to um, cut people in traffic. If uh-huh. someone like crosses you in traffic, you're just going to start using not so good that words. Is. But yeah. I want everyone to know that it does take time and it's, um, it's a journey, guys.
2: And it's, that's part of being human, I think, yeah. you know? And I always say, like, you're never going to know how far you are in this growth if you always just surround yourself with the people that make you feel good, right? Mm-hmm. I often think it's the people that kind of annoy us, that trigger us. Mm-hmm. They're the ones where you have to really look at. And they're the ones that actually give the bigger gift because you're like, uh... Ah, Mm-hmm. there's obviously still a button under there that needs to be um resolved you know
0: yeah that's why they say like go to your critics first yeah because they're going to give you more chances and more area of growth because uh yeah your friends can be just like ah you know what you're fine yeah. everything is you're okay good. yeah you're exactly nice yeah, true. now when i look at yoga now let's talk about um, when I look at yoga, there are so many branches of yoga, right? You've got hatha yoga, you've got ayangar, Bikram, uh, Kundalini, and so many of them. If someone wants to take a shot at this, right? They're listening to this. They're like, "Oh, you know what? C. J. and Tara are talking about something interesting. I might just book my first yoga session." And then they look at all these options, and then all these options make another level of decision making fatigue because you're like oh should I go for this one but that model is going for this one and this celebrity is going for this one how does the person navigate through all these areas of yoga
2: I think always be open to try and shift especially in the start. um I think the teacher has a lot to do with it and look at the style of yoga as in um kind of what it's going to be like physically as well so i think that different styles of yoga obviously they pull in different types of people Mm -hmm. right um if you want a little bit more of a masculine energy because you feel like you need it then you'll go down the ashtanga route if you want more of Mm -hmm. a feminine energy go more down the embodied the slow flow um Mm -hmm. route hatha yoga is a great place to start um just because it has all the postures Mm -hmm. the alignments that you'll um Kind of learn there. you'll take into different yoga classes as well but i would just say once you get like a basis maybe in hatha, mm-hmm. then start and say if you do start <coughs> with different classes and you're like yoga's not for me mm-hmm. keep trying like okay. and especially with the different teachers like different styles of teaching their voices and stuff you just need to find the right one that resonates that you connect to mm-hmm. and then the magic
0: starts all right okay And another tip for everyone who's listening, if it's your first day, don't go to the front of the class because this is what I tried to do in my first Ashtanga class. And I remember clearly because I think I'd I'd done some um, like flow yoga before. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. And, you know, my ego kicked in and I'm like, I'm going to go to the front of the class. And trust me, it's not a good experience, especially if you're doing some difficult styles of yoga, like Ashtanga, where everyone knows what they're doing.
2: Was it a lead class or it was just like my source, my source style? Um,
0: it was, there was a teacher, yeah. but this teacher didn't talk much. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So, they were just um, they were just going with it and everyone knew what to do. And um, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting because you figure out like, you know, you don't know much. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to start behind... And look at everyone, see what they're doing, and most of the times they can't look at you, so you know it's always a win win situation. But yoga also has so, when we think about yoga, when I think about yoga, I think about all these different poses. And you know, in um, Sanskrit, uh, the ancient Hindu terminology, you call it asanas, but they're so called eight limbs of yoga. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? And you have different um, kind of things that go on so yoga is not only about like the poses but it's about you know i i don't remember them but i know that there is one thing called pran- pranayama it's which breath is work. Um, breath work and then you have meditation which is called dhyana and there are other kind of things as well yeah. so can you walk us through like what are the basics of all these things like
2: it's like so asana i think it's a third limb um you have under the eight limbs, it's basically, I'd say it's kind of like, you know, you get these books now, it's like the book on how to do life. Mm-hmm. These are the eight limbs of yoga. So okay. it'll be um, training the body,
1: mm-hmm.
2: training the mind to reach that spot of enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. So if you follow all eight of them, then hopefully at the end, you're like, ah, you can yes. just sit in your seat, right? Okay. But it's, um, this is why I say like asana is such a small part of it. Mm-hmm because you have so much more, it's like a way of life. It's a way to conduct yourself. It's a way to self-study. It's, I think, more of an introception. Mm -hmm. So just working out, okay, who I am first, Mm -hmm. how I kind of work, and particularly with listening to where the mind goes and stuff like this, and then how I can kind of live in a way that has the least amount of hurtful impact in the world hmm. around.
0: Okay. Yeah. Is that why you are vegan?
2: Partly, yes.
0: Partly, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Um yeah, that's very interesting to know because a lot of people would consider yoga to be this, you know, cool exercise forum or a way to meet new people, going to all these group classes, especially now that yoga has been is so famous all around the world and I mean it's funny because, you know, when you predate back to yoga's history, I think it goes, The some official records say it's 5,000 years old. There are some records that even go back 10,000 years. And, you know, the first yoga was probably put on some palm leaves and, you know, those scriptures. And then there were some people who were like, hey, you know what, let me translate this into something. And then you had, um in Hinduism, we have something called as Vedas, which is a kind of like... Um, instruction manual for life in a way, and I think yoga first appeared in the Rigveda and it's like constantly evolving from there and then there were different schools of thoughts now all of this and one of the things that you mentioned that uh, really uh, highlighted something was that it's a way of life mm-hmm. right it's it's not just about booking a class, going to the class and like just stretching it out or just doing some breath work in the class itself and then you go back home and then you know you're probably a, no, i wouldn't say bad but you're not such a pleasant husband or <laughs> you're, you're a having you I like
2: that you said husband and not wife I'm like one for the women
0: <laughs> well you know like a husband or wife yeah. or your your um if you're teaching something or you're if you're you're a bad coworker or you know you're not such good of a boss and all of those things will impact your asanas in some way. Is that correct? or
2: Yeah, I think it's more about taking the awareness of being in that room and being fully connected with yourself and your body and seeing it's kind of like the practice helps strip everything off, right? So you come in you, with all your crap, all this kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And I always see yoga and the movement practice of it as a kind of self-regulation, right? It's bringing the system down, it's bringing stability, a little bit more co- coherence. I like to think it as waves, right? Mm-hmm. So when I do this, it's like you come in like this and then you come out fully rounded. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to see that actually behind all this reaction stuff to the stimuli outside lives a wholeness and a kind of peaceful person, right? Mm-hmm. And it's taken that and whatever reflections, whatever's come up onto the mat, out into life outside. So I always say in my classes, like, I always do a pause. I'm like, just take time to receive whatever you're receiving. Because Mm -hmm. whether it be the way that they talk to themselves in class will be exactly the way that they're talking to themselves outside of it. Mm -hmm. So whether they're talking to themselves with compassion or whether it's like, oh, I'm not good enough. And whether it's from a place of Mm -hmm. lack, right? It's seeing that and being like, oh, actually, I'm talking to myself a little bit like shit. Mm -hmm. Let's do something better. Or something as simple as if it's just physical while you're there noticing when things get tough where does the tension come into the body mm-hmm. for you it might be your jaw for someone it might be the shoulders for someone else they might hold it in the belly
1: mm-hmm.
2: again noticing where the stress comes up in a yoga class is a highlighter for you then when you go to work when your boss is doing your heading when you're in a traffic jam mm-hmm. where does the tension come it's going to mm-hmm. be the same place does mm-hmm. that make sense yeah. So it's just relating whatever goes on into that in that room,
1: mm-hmm.
2: how I can bring it into life outside and make me live. For me, it's just all about lightness, you know, mm-hmm. life's heavy enough as it is. So yeah. how can I just live a little bit more lightly and a little bit more in tune with mm-hmm. myself?
0: Do you believe that emotions have a certain amount of energy? And when your emotions are dysregulated or you have some kind of an emotional disbalance, then that... Emotion reflects onto a certain I know that in Chinese traditional medicine, every emotion has an energy, and that energy reflects on a certain organ in the body. But oftentimes you will also see that let's say if you're fearful of something, right? If you're if you're scared of something, then that emotion normally shows up in your neck, and then you know, people tell you like, hey, such a pain in the neck or something like that. And these things come up because somewhere or the other, every time you suppress an emotion or every time you're saying that oh you know what i'm just gonna let this one go right now and you don't talk about it or you don't let that energy out in a way it gets stuck somewhere in the body and now for some people it might be fear for some people it might be you know just anxiety for some people it might be uncertainty about the future do you see in your practice and when you when you're talking to your students that a lot of people come in with these emotional disagreements and then suddenly they're, they're in a pose and they focus and then they breathe and they see or they sense the energy shift really. in a sudden way. Right?
2: Yeah, there's um, it's funny because I teach this in my teacher training. Okay. For me, it's a lot to do with the fascia and how it works. But um, in regards to where they store it in the body, when you were saying about fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. Our automatic response when we're in flight or flight is this. We kind of round in, we protect the vital organs, right? Yeah. So this is a lot of the time because people can be in fight or flight when they're in their work, they have no idea. A lot of the time people come into yoga like this, right? Same with me when I first started, I was closed. I was in with myself. Um, I think having just working then with physically expanding the front of the chest and mm-hmm. stuff, it's going to release yeah. things because people are not used to being in that position, right? Yeah. So once they feel open you know that like body language, it not only gives uh, signals to the people Mm -hmm. in front of you, but it's signaling to yourself. So if everyone, when you're watching this, if you stand like this for two minutes, power stance, automatically that energy starts to lift, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of them. But also when you're working with fascia and stuff. So if you've been like this for a long time, fascia starts to kind of switch off. It gets loaded and loaded into a thick barrier, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So it gets enough kind of, food source to keep functioning but at a very low level so it's like it's sleeping Mm -hmm. right and all this stuff that's got stuck here the sleeping stuff once you start moving and manipulating it or once you start bringing blood flow into places Mm -hmm. that haven't felt it for a very long time that's when this kind of emotional release comes because again you're feeling an area you're starting to get more um mind body connection into that so People say, yes, it's because your emotions are stuck into your hips. Granted, science-wise, it's because that fascia that's been stuck and kind of glumped together Mm -hmm. is starting to open. All that stuff that was stuck is being released back into the system.
0: That's very interesting. I've never heard an explanation like that. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) And I like how you mentioned power poses because one of the biggest fears um, one of the top biggest fears in the world is public speaking. Mm-hmm. And um, if you speak to anyone who is good in public speaking, they will always tell you that right before they enter this stage, they're still scared. And one of the tricks that have been used by a lot of public speakers is called power poses, like Sarah mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could uh, you could do it before bungee jumping. You could, um, you know, before doing anything stressful or anything that makes you fearful every time you expand your body every time you have like you know the superman's pose or you know the gorilla pose or something like that um you automatically give signals to your nervous system that you are in charge and there, uh, neurochemistry wise you know there's a lot of testosterone that goes into the system you feel more confident you feel you're in charge of the situation and it depends on every person some people who have like uh you know their heart rate goes up really fast they can try some breathing exercises they can calm their breathing down and uh yeah it's really interesting i think mel robbins wrote a book or she had a ted talk on it it's called five power poses so if you guys want to check it out do it there are some infographics about it as well and um, that works
2: amy cody as well amy cody ted Ted talk she's done amazing one and she did um research on job interviews Mm -hmm. they had people sit like this before a job interview and people like Mm open obviously the people who are open do better but yeah sorry to ruin the ted talk but it's really good (laughs) Go.
0: no yeah just go uh just it's good that we speak about this and you know we spike that curiosity in the listeners and this results in them going and like uh learning new stuff so that's good even the fascia point that is very interesting because another thing that A lot of people don't know is that the fascia is also um, a lot of electricity runs through our body. Is you know made out of chemicals. There's neurochemistry, um, and there's even an electric effect on the body. And what the fascia is is pseudo electric. So what happens is every time you run, let's say not like with electrodes and stuff like that, but when you when you're hydrated enough and you can carry the uh, electrical charge through the fascia then things become more easier when you have, like, before starting this interview, we, I put some uh, minerals, full-spectrum minerals in the water. When you have more minerals into the water, which is like sodium, calcium, potassium, these also are conductors of electricity. So you see a lot of people who are nervous or anxious. Most of the time, they haven't been connected to the ground. This is also one reason why we have this grounding mat at this point, because this supplies your body with negative electrons. And when you think of it, every cell in our body, right, has a negative charge. Normally, every cell, we have trillions of cells, and all these cells are on, I think, minus 20 milliwatts of negative charge. And every time you have a strong emotion, whether it's like fear or anger or frustration and things like that, or you're eating foods that will harm you in some way, that increases inflammation, and that actually increases the positive charge inside the cell. So inside of the cell, there's a negative charge and outside of the cell, there's a positive charge. The more you expose yourself to environmental toxins, whether it be from bad thinking or, you know, a stressful situation or poor food or poor sleeping habits, the cell inside starts becoming positively charged. And there's something called as vaulted gated calcium channels. Mm -hmm. So what this does is every time the cell gets positive, it pumps out more calcium into the cell and the cell... As a function it starts getting excited a lot up to a point that it starts dying so a lot of people who would have this kind of a problem i would also tell them that you know have keep yourself hydrated maybe you know stretch a little bit use the foam roller get some really good spectrum minerals inside your cells go for a walk barefoot outside you know connect with the ground connect with nature and that automatically lowers your stress response a lot now, when you teach your yoga, I know you've done a recent um, retreat in Zanzibar. Yes. And how was that? Because there, you know, you're completely surrounded by nature. Do you feel that people get better results when they're in an environment which is not made of brick and concrete? And they're more, um, you know, they're, they can, they're more connected to the ground or with negative electrons? Or
2: um, Yes, I feel like as well, it's more of a mental site. So, uh-huh. obviously, the environment plays a big, um, a big what's the word I'm looking for? A role. A role in it. Yeah. Um, but I think just people are more receptive and automatically, okay, environment, it's calm, you hear the waves, already the body's like, yeah, man, I'm on holiday. Having that act of I'm going on holiday to do something good for me, and it, mm-hmm. it's automatically shifted, right? So you've automatically, okay, I'm away from the stresses. I'm away from yeah. normal everyday life. I'm here to feel good. And I think that people are m- way more relaxed as opposed to when I see someone come into the yoga class straight from work mm-hmm. and they're hyped up there. And you, can, like you can tell, <laughs> like, as a teacher, you start to read the room when you first come in.
1: Yeah.
2: So on retreats, you get into that space. Everyone already, like because I call the start of a class like the drop-in. Mm-hmm. So already the drop-in the class is like instant. You know, mm-hmm. the energy is already, everyone's kind of folded in. Whereas when I do it in Dubai, when it's a half six at night class or like 7.30, something like this, everyone comes with that kind of like yeah. static energy. Yeah. And the drop-in, it takes a lot longer. And you mm-hmm. start to see, okay, then the shoulders will go after five minutes. or so then people start softening. And then mm-hmm. that's when I'll start the class.
0: And this is something that normally is, I've been trying to hack this for a very long time. Basically, um, you know, you, get, you guys can experiment with this in your own life. Every time, like Sarah mentioned, you go on vacation, suddenly the world around you changes. Whether it is the stress, whether it's something else, the fact that you're in vacation mm-hmm. changes everything. And I call it the vacation lens. So you start, you, you put on these, let's say, a glasses and then everything that you see from those lenses, like from vacation. And the, the great part is that nothing in your body has really changed. You're the same person that you were before getting onto the flight or getting onto the boat and going for vacation. And you're the same person when you arrive, but the lens with what you see the world completely changes and you become more relaxed. You give yourself, you become more compassionate. You give yourself more, um, you know, space to maybe eat that food or you give yourself more space to, you know, uh, talk to a stranger or, and things change. And then let's say you get a call from, you know, back home. And I hope this never happens to anyone, but you get a call and then you hear a bad news or something that demands your attention, energy and focus. And automatically, that vacation lens switches off and you get into this whole hype mode. And I've been trying to do this for a very long time. One of the things that I have figured out is that if I'm having a hard day of work or, you know, something stressful going on, I literally step out from the environment that I'm in, whether it's going to be this room where I'm podcasting, I'm writing articles and things like that. And I go into a different place because location has a big impact on energy. Every location that you're in, whether it be the Wi-Fi routers or like other electronic devices or, you know, your boss's face, that location carries a significant amount of energy. And when you're able to move the location and then you have other things like you have sight, you have smell. Normally, what I would do is like I'll take some essential oils, sniff onto them and then tell myself, "Okay, CJ, now there's vacation lenses on. So I'll like pretend that I'm wearing these other lenses of vacation and suddenly things start to change. And it's one of those hacks that you guys can use. It's still not perfect because I'm still trying to get um, get in line with that. And I like how you mentioned that you know it takes people some time to like really relax. Because also, what's happening, Sarah, is that our body is sending our brain a lot of information, right? Like it's approximated that it's 11 million bits of information every minute, and our brain, being as genius as it could be, can only receive. From 50 to 20 bits of information per minute Mm -hmm. so can you imagine all that information that our body is going to try to send and the environment we haven't even talked spoken about the environment the environment is complete like eh, completely different but your body itself is giving you 11 million bits of information your brain can take let's say 50 of them and the way your brain has been designed is to survive right so there are different parts of your brain that focus on different things now Your logical thinking is governed by a center of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. And this is where, you know, you're stuck in a situation and if the stress isn't that much, you can figure out a way, okay, you know what, maybe I can solve this problem in some way. But what really happens is your prefrontal cortex gets the information at the last minute. But what gets the information first is a part of your brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala... That's your primal senses. Yes, it's your primal senses. So it's the fear center of your brain. Mm -hmm. And what with evolution, this has been designed perfectly because at any point of time, you want to receive the information that might hurt you first. So everything gets filtered out from the amygdala. And by the time it reaches the prefrontal cortex, it's um, kind of like, it's a bit too late. You're already triggered with that emotion. And it's very interesting that when you're in vacation mode, you can calm down the amygdala. Other things that can calm down the amygdala, as you mentioned, is like a yoga class because you're surrounded by different energies of different people. And your focus is at that point, either on your breath Mm -hmm. or either on the position itself or how you're feeling. And when you bring all of that information in, you're automatically canceling those noises from the amygdala Mm -hmm. and you accelerate the prefrontal cortex. So I think this is also... Very interesting for people to know because the more you kind of like relax yourself into it, you will calm down that part of your brain that tells you like, you know, what you you can do it right or people looking at you.
2: And just to add as well, it obviously depends what emotion comes up. Mm -hmm. So I've been studying a lot on um, trauma basis. Okay. And it's saying about this, how you can work from the base up or come in through like logic and stuff. And depending on what emotion is triggered depending on whether there's been a trauma that's come up with that Mm -hmm. obviously the brain will go to the thing that it doesn't matter whether it's a good response or a bad response it's going to go to the known right so if that's all you've known for a very long time and that's your automatic instinct don't give yourself a hard time if it takes you a while Mm -hmm. to kind of get into rather than the reactive the responsive right because that stuff is deeply embedded
0: yeah a lot of uh, you know we say we mentioned that um, we're thinking mostly from our conscious mind but our conscious mind equates to about 10% of the total net activity in our brain and 90% of the activity that's going on is in the subconscious mind and what happens is a lot of the people um when they have things that are deeply embedded in their brain stem it happens at first stages of life. So when you're a kid, to seven. Yeah, yeah, from one to seven, you, you might hear your uncle talk about something or, you know, you might have your belief set it's, onto that point.
2: It's crazy. I can remember as a kid and I would probably only be about five, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I like to sing. You know? Yeah. Anyone who doesn't know, I love to sing, but I couldn't ever do it in public. And I remember as a kid specifically, it was my granddad's girlfriend. I was singing in the kitchen. And I remember her looking at me and saying, oh, you'll never do that as a job. And it's it's nothing. If she said it now, I'd be like, no. But to remember that as a kid. yeah. And then that was the first time when I felt like I need to hide my voice, right? Yeah. Where I can't sing. And it's just crazy to think that I don't I remember a lot of childhood memories, but that stuff, yeah. the stuff that you remember is the stuff that's actually... What's the word? It has an impact.
0: Yeah. It basically shows up in everything that you... It shows up in the same lens that you view the world from. And normally, any subconscious beliefs at that point is really, I mean, I don't mean to discourage anyone, but you also need to know the reality that it takes a lot of work to get into the subconscious, especially at that time, and then change or tweak a few things. There are a lot of ways to do it. There is meditation. And, you know, yoga is a very interesting thing that's come up now because, just because of calming down like we said like these primal systems of the brain you can focus on something new and every time you do something new this is another hack for you guys every time you want to change your perception about something or you want to like try um you want to learn something different you have to try something new Mm
1: -hmm.
0: novelty to the brain whether it is you know where if you're cycling and you take a different route or you know you're trying to get like sarah mentioned get outside the known and step into the unknown just for a little bit, that by itself changes the way your neurons wire and fire together. And at that piece or at that point in time, if you feed in a new information, there are two ways to do it. One is novelty and one is comedy. So every time you do something novel, some novel-seeking experience, whether you're you know, you know, skateboarding or skydiving and you have a thought process at that point, your brain will embed it really well. And then it's very easy to like go back to it, whether, uh, rather than you waking up a morning and telling yourself, you know, this is the affirmation and this is the thing. Yeah. And the other thing that really works is comedy. So every time you laugh, like you really laugh, your, your brain's pattern recognition system rewires itself. And then if you put in a belief or you put in like a statement at that point itself, then your brain starts to kind of like um, understand and accept it more easily. Other than that, you know, your ego might step in. How many people do you think which come to your class have some kind of like, or let's say come in with a lot of ego? A
2: lot. A lot? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the way that the world is now and the way it's yoga is presented, and I'm guilty of it myself. People do come in, I don't want to say with the wrong intentions, but people do want the physical attainment side, right? They want to be able to do the splits. They want the deepest backbend possible. They want to be able to do handstands. And mm-hmm. it's, they let that quest get in a way of the true kind of nourishment that the practice can give.
0: Mm-hmm. But also I think one of the reasons that happens is because the way yoga has been portrayed is also, you know, no one is really, I mean, I know that you've been talking about this a lot to your students and to the teachers that you teach, and I've seen it in your videos and stuff, but a lot of people aren't really talking about, you know, the other side of yoga, the holistic side of yoga, the, the lifestyle aspect of it, and that tends to kind of, you know, just doesn't get people's attention on that aspect. Yeah. Also, I remember... <clears throat> When I was growing up, I was um, very, uh, you know, I was fat and obese as a kid. So one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to get in shape because, you know, I went through a lot of bullying in school and things like that. And probably that's why I'm so passionate about nutrition and wellness. But there was a point of time where, you know, one of the primary things I thought to become healthy is to look good in front of the mirror, look good naked. And at that point, Anyone who would tell me like, hey, um, why don't you try yoga? And this is like 10 years ago or 12 years ago. And yoga wasn't that famous at that point. I would tell them like, hey, yoga is not for me. It's for, you know, or lack of a better word, something that ri- sounds like a cat, you know. <laughs> so
2: That sounds like a cat.
0: right? Gotcha. And <laughs> what happens is I've seen a shift in that thinking perspective obviously it's happened to me i now embrace yoga and you know i've been wanting to learn uh, learn and go into the depths and understand it more and have you seen a shift where more men than women are now kind of like catching on the wave and being like uh, they want to do
2: in dubai yes i think even now just the general kind of consensus is stretching is good for you right mm-hmm. people are starting to realize oh actually I need to stretch more and I think yeah. this is why the men come in but I think yeah I just think there is just more of awareness in men now as well mm-hmm. especially when they try it and they realize oh it's actually quite tough yeah you know so then I feel like sometimes they do get a little bit more macho it's like oh yeah, yeah. actually I can do yoga because they yeah. try it first and they're like holy crap i haven't actually felt these tiny muscles before right Mm -hmm. they've just been working in the gym isolating the big kind of thing so it is nice to see
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting now um you go into a yoga class and before when i wanted to go into yoga class i would probably be one or there would be one more guy in the class and now there are just so many so it kind of like as a as a man it kind of makes you feel more relaxed Mm -hmm. because then when you're in a yoga class and they're all women you don't feel intimidated, but it's you have this feeling that hey, maybe I'm in the wrong place at this point.
2: Yeah, but it is—it's nice as a teacher as well because obviously males they come with their own kind of energy, right? Yeah, it's different from having an all-female class, so it's actually nice to have a few males in the room to just kind of balance that energy out as well, and just see how it feeds in. It's nice.
0: Do you feel like um, women have any kind of an advantage in yoga than men?
2: Um, I think the only advantage women have is we are generally softer in nature. Mm -hmm. We're able to surrender easier than Mm -hmm. you guys. Okay. You guys want to fight and you want to fight the poses. And I feel like in that sense, um, yes, there's, different advantages like obviously with the guys you're naturally stronger so the stronger stuff comes easily to you the more flexible stuff comes easier to the women right mm-hmm. so it's like it's yin and yang it balances out yeah
0: i was just thinking about the yin and yang of energy and um and as like you mentioned for a teacher having both of them present in mm-hmm. the room as um, beneficial do you think people become better because there are more people in the room do they kind of like grab onto each other's energy and does that work in a synergy?
2: Yes. The two ways that it can go. So one can be that people are kind of like performing Mm -hmm. someone next to them is going hard. So they're like, fuck, okay, I need to up up my game, you know, or sometimes as well, you cannot, and I actually get emotional sometimes when I'm teaching, you can't describe the energy and the feeling of when you're guiding a class and everyone's kind of moving and you've got the breath and you're talking like a class of like 18, 20 people, the energy in the room then becomes so in sync and just so powerful Mm -hmm. that it literally takes my breath away. I'm like, fuck, this is why I do what I do. And people, that's the thing, they're so in their own moments, but it's all these individual moments of connectedness together they're not going to kind of be aware of it until they re- reflect on it when they leave the room, right? Mm-hmm. But me as a teacher watching that and seeing how everyone is just kind of in sync but at their own pace, I'm like, that's life, you know?
0: Well, and does that um, increase your energy levels as well? 100%. It does. Like
2: those classes, I leave and I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't feel like <laughs> I should sleep within like a day, you know what I mean?
0: Wow, that's powerful. It lifts me up for sure. And uh, if someone who's listening to this and they have been going to yoga classes, is there a way that they can kind of like, because you mentioned everyone is so having their own tiny moment and they're, you know, focusing on their breath and they're focusing on the teacher and they're focusing on themselves. But is there a way that they can also kind of like understand or see this energy shift and take it back home and get basically go apart from the fantastic things that yoga does? for the human body, yeah. just take away that energy and go out and say,
2: ah! I think, <laughs> I think um, subconsciously it's going to happen anyway. It's those classes where you walk out and you're like, shh, that was a good yoga class. But I think it's more on the role of the teacher mm-hmm. to assist the awareness in the room as well. So like every now and then, it's always in the pauses for me. And I'll get people to just even like say to them, like, just feel the stillness in the room Mm -hmm. and then notice what it contains right or it's like sending love to the people to your left to your right and then if you get everyone kind of concentrating on their kind of sphere around Mm -hmm. that collective energy then yeah but yeah you can do that become more aware of it with yourself but always in the stillness Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so you have time to reflect
0: harvard uh, university did a study in 2000 six or 2007, and they were basically measuring the electrical signals of the heart. And what they found that a person who's in the same room, their energy, their electric energy um, from their heart can be sensed up to six feet. And they have, they even know that it slightly bends towards the left. And what happens, which is funny is like, for everyone who's listening, was there a time that you walked into a room and you probably didn't know anyone, but you felt very comfortable or on the opposite end, you walked into a room and there were a few people and they never spoke to you and you don't know about them, but you still started feeling a bit stressed and nervous. And now me and Sarah, we know that we've felt this a couple of times. Um, and that happens because your heart has an electromagnetic signature. And why I bring this up is because the more you're aware of it, And the more you want to change your personal electromagnetic signature, there is something in the brain called mirror neurons. And the way mirror neurons work is when you see someone like, let's say you see someone yawning or you see someone laughing, a part of your brain wants to replicate the same feeling, the same emotion and the same act as the other person. And this is very important because let's say you walk into a room and if your energy is dominant and you feel like, you know, you feel happy and you're in love with life and you're grateful about everything, there is a very, very strong chance that others will look at you and try to replicate that. And this is one of the reasons why I say you don't always have to catch the energy in the field but you can intentionally add to the energy in the field. And once the energy in the field is elevated, then everyone catches onto it. You know, Mm -hmm. in sports performance and in peak performance, we note things like heart rate variability. Your heart rate variability goes through the roof. Your Your resting heart rate goes down. Your recovery increases drastically. And it all happens because you're able to not, I mean... I wouldn't call the word selfish, but you're not always wanting to receive, Mm -hmm. but you want to add. Yeah. And the more you think about that, it's like, it's like the cycle of life. The more you give in, it's like the more you receive. So yeah, that's.
2: You bring out what you put in. Look at us on Friday we're the only table dancing and having fun right yeah up until like two hours and then and everyone, then everyone yeah actually <laughs> i never, never thought about yeah, it thanks asif
0: yeah thanks asif <laughs> if you're listening to this and for those of you who are listening we were in a one of our friends um birthday gatherings um in a restaurant and we were a bunch of like 10 people and most everyone was sit down because of you know covid regulations and we just had like a spark in us so we were dancing and laughing and at first it seems strange because all the security guards would come and tell us to sit down but with time because of maybe the mirror neurons or the heart's electromagnetic signature almost everyone over there started dancing and then everyone kept telling us like you know they came up to us and they're like we thank were you safe. guys <laughs> yeah so we literally added energy into that room
2: Yeah, a ton of
0: now if um if someone you mentioned like people who should start with hatha yoga and yeah. stuff like that. What is the minimum effective dose of yoga? Because for me as a, you know, someone who loves health and wellness, and there are so many different parts to health, you know, there's the environment aspect, the nutrition aspect, the physical movement. I always try to look for a sweet spot, which, uh, which I term like, as actually Tim Ferriss uh, said it first, called the minimum effective dose, which is what is the minimum effort that you need to get like, maybe not the max amount of result, but like a decent amount of results. So is there a minimum effective dose for yoga or is it dose dependent?
2: It's dose dependent because it's, again, it depends where you come from, right? So if you've come in from quite a sedentary background, I wouldn't recommend going for a full hours class to start with, yeah. like start on YouTube's so all this kind of stuff. But again, it just... It depends on the person and how long I think it takes to self-regulate, mm-hmm. right? So for me now, I can do in the mornings, I get up and it's 30 minutes. But in that 30 minutes, definitely 10 minutes meditation at the end, a little bit of journaling. And the first 20 minutes is the movement with the breath, a little bit of pranayama to self-regulate. Mm-hmm. And then I'm good to meditate and that's good for my day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it's definitely, it's depending what you're working with. Mm-hmm. Some days, twenty minutes of yoga, and I'm like, "No, I need my body's just saying, keep going." Like mm-hmm. it's going to take me forty, one hour. Mm-hmm. But the end goal is always that sweet spot to be able to sit and be like, Phew.
0: "Okay." And that's your yeah. personal yoga journey, right? That's my personal. That's not what you're teaching. This no, is the first thing. But again, you-
2: it's like a good teacher, or if you are kind of promoted to have this self awareness and this curiosity from the start, then. I'm all about just listening to your body, right? Listening to the signals and adapt the movement and the breath accordingly. Um, so if you start that training from very early on, then again, my role as a teacher is not for you to keep coming to classes. I want you to be able to get up in the morning or I want you to be stressed as hell at work, be able to roll your mat out and self-regulate like you do in my class,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: So it's that, I think it's just coming again into being able to, to learn your body, your systems, your reactions, and then through the practice, however long it will take that day, whether it's 10, 20, 30 minutes, but be able to drop that energy back in and find ground.
0: And is this something that you do first thing when you wake up? So let's walk me through your day. How does a day in Sarah White's life look like?
2: Right now, it's flipped upside down. um, What
0: would an ideal day look like?
2: Ideal day? It depends. If I've got early clients, then this will be only my 30 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So I get up 30 minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't touch my phone. I put my lamp on, maybe light a candle. I'll always have my mat rolled out at the end of the bed so mm-hmm. it's ready to go. A little bit of water as well. So water first, and then I get on my mat, and I actually I start moving first. Okay. Yeah, so I just iron out the kinks. I listen to where my body kind of needs to be felt, different areas, different day. Once I get into the movement, um, I'll probably use the sun salutations if I've got less time to mix the movement with the breath because it's the easiest way, right, to just get the systems pumping. Once I feel like I'm dropping in, as in the movement and the breath is steady, I'm at a steady pace, I start slowing it down and then I find a seat. Mm -hmm. Then I'll do a little bit of pranayama, slow it down into meditation, 10 minutes, Ah, once I've come out of my 10 minutes. I journal a little mm-hmm. bit, um, just any thoughts, feelings, because usually when you create space like this and when you create routine, that's when you've got space for the messages and the clarity, right? Mm-hmm. So this is when maybe some, like, because I write a lot as well, some sentence will come up, something mm-hmm. will be like, oh, that's going to be my next newsletter or, you know, mm-hmm. so I basically brain vomit onto the paper, then mm-hmm. I'm good to go.
0: Okay. And do you think... Um- having a a routine and like a movement built in first thing in the morning reduces that signal to noise ratio because we have a lot of signal right Mm -hmm. coming into our brains all the time but there is a lot of noise which is these things that you don't want to be focusing on and the trick is if somehow you can reduce the signal to noise ratio Mm -hmm. that kind of like elevates and brings in more like meaningful things have you i've Honestly, for the last, I think, since Feb, I've been doing, uh, normally I would um, wake up and I would do some stretching and things like that. But for the last four or five months, I've been trying this new routine. It's an energy routine. Um, Basically, it's adapted. It has five yoga poses. And it's, have you heard of it? Uh, It's called the Tibetan Longevity Rites. Mm -hmm. So basically... There are these people and these monks in Tibet who live an extraordinary um, long life and they're quite healthy. And one of the things that they do is these five ancient yoga poses. One is the downward dog. One is, I don't know all the names, but one's a downward dog. One's a back bend. Um, one is a bridge, if you call them, when you're like turning, when you have your hands down and then you're just extending your pelvis up to the. Yeah, reverse yeah. tabletop. Yeah, reverse tabletop, yeah. what else is there? There is a a spinning exercise. So you basically put your attention and focus at a point and then you spin anti-clockwise. You put your arms straight Mm -hmm. and then you spin anti-clockwise. And what all of these things do is they start your energy cycle. Because when you're sleeping, a lot of your energy, when you wake up with anxious thoughts and things like that, a lot of your energy is stuck in Mm -hmm um the lower two chakras of your body and for those of you who are listening chakras are basically these um you have seven chakras in your body and they are in different places throughout the body and they say that each chakra has a different energy field and a different emotion
1: different vibration and different
0: vibration so the lower two energy chakras are the survival energy chakras and most of the times because of because of gravity whenever you're sleeping your energy is stuck in the lower two energy structures. So whenever you get up, you're either thinking about work or deadlines or paying the bills or things like that. But then if you, if you don't have any physical movement practice, then your energy keeps getting stuck on there. And our DNA and our cells, the way they, they move is in an anti-clockwise manner. So that's why this basically all of these movements Take you through different parts of the chakras and you keep on opening one of them every time until the energy completely flows and then for me i also have taken some um, practices from you know ancient chinese medicine tai chi Qigong and things like that and i do it first thing in the morning and i find that my energy levels are through the roof it's 21 uh, you could you could do a short version of it i think i have it on my instagram
2: put it on youtube as a routine
0: yeah, I might do that actually. I have I've had uh, some Instagram videos about it, but I might just put it on YouTube. It's it involves a lot of tapping and things like that. Have you experimented with tapping?
2: Yes, this was what my um when I did a meditation retreat. We were doing a lot of tapping and brushing and stuff, but also you know what your lymphatic system is, yeah. right? So this helps with moving basically the lymph or the crap. Like you say, it's been lying like this as mm-hmm. we've been um, asleep. So I think that has a lot to do with the energy as well because yeah. it doesn't have a pump, right? So yeah. your pump is the movement. So I think just getting that lymphatic system going, like you say, raising the energy because you do, you feel heightened yeah. before you step into your day. It's kind of like you've already done the cleanse of, I'm already connected i mm-hmm. I'm already kind of grounded yeah. in myself and then bring this
0: then bring on the practice. challenges of yeah, the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um yeah, that's that's very interesting. And what's your current meditation practice look like? Is it 10 minutes in the morning? Do you dedicate some time for meditation?
2: 10 minutes is bare minimum. If okay. I have longer, and I've done like a longer practice and stuff. <clears throat> I can sit for like 20 or 30. Sometimes I still do guided other times it is just a complete like how I learned it on the retreat is just a softening in mm-hmm. the body right so it's like not holding any tension and just once everything kind of settles it's kind of like you know when you drop a pebble yeah. in a lake and you get the ripples yeah so the first bits it's the ripples right and then it's getting into a spot where it just feels like utter
0: means- Yeah. And People who are listening to this might have a lot of questions around meditation because every time the word meditation pops out, nowadays we're blessed that we have all these different apps and yeah, these apps can go take you through a guided meditation, but meditation is still one of the most difficult things for people to do. And it is one of the limbs of yoga, right? Meditation. So do you have any tips or tricks for someone who's listening and someone who just cannot be with themselves or with their thoughts like what's a good place to start on and i'm gonna reduce this ac a bit because it's a bit cold (laughs) um
2: i think start off slow like there's some of my um clients that couldn't even do like a minute in shavasana Mm -hmm. so i think start with a minute and also don't get annoyed at yourself like even for me, some days I'm doing my 10 minutes and I can see that my head is already in the day, you know, yeah. but then it's just part of it. So it's like your brain is a muscle, just like your bicep that needs to be flexed. Yeah. So if one day you feel it and you get that glimpse, amazing. But don't hold on to that because the next day part of the journey is you're not going to get there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just visiting that spot more often and often for mm-hmm. longer. So maybe the first day all you're doing is sitting and following your breath for a minute. That's all you need to do a minute. Even for a week,
1: mm-hmm. done
2: it for a minute, starts to feel easy. Got to two minutes, got okay. to three minutes. It's not like it has to be this massive feat, right, from the start. Yeah, and even for me, like I, I don't imagine myself meditating for longer than thirty, unless there is a specific like sankalpa, like I'm out in a vipassana retreat, you know. So it's yeah, just make time for it and just gradually.
0: Okay, so the trick is make time for it go slow, don't beat yourself up. It's not like you're going to face enlightenment in the first time. And also, I think that with meditation, it's also a dose dependent effect. So every time, like if you decided to meditate, it's good to start with one, two, three, and then build it up. But then if you start for the first seven to 10 minutes, your brain is just going to throw everything at you. And eventually, once you hit the 14 minute mark and then the 16 minute mark and the 25 minute mark then you become more calmer. So people mm. were starting out just because you're you know you did dedicated 5 minutes per day and it's your brain is screaming at you that noise will start to lower down with time.
2: 100 It's like running, right? Mm-hmm. First mile you're freaking dead but yeah. then you hit that zone and you're like ah oh, actually. It's good. Yeah, you have meditation. the endorphins, you yeah, have yeah, all yeah. those
0: things running through your bloodstream. And you speak about uh, vipassana. Tell us what vipassana is.
2: Basically, you go on a retreat or wherever it would be, and it is silence meditation all day. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't speak to anyone. You take the vera silence, and yeah, you'll be meditating on a cushions for hours. You usually have a teacher that will either guide you in it or give you some lectures and how to kind of set yourself up. But it's it's raw. Okay.
0: It's cool. How, how many days have you attended a Vipassana I retreat? Haven't. You haven't? No. Wow. I've always wanted to do the 11-day Vipassana. Yeah. Uh, 10 or 11 days it is. And basically, you're in a place full of strangers and you're not allowed to look into their eye. You don't. You cannot take your phones, guys. So no Instagramming.
2: And not even writing and that's you what cannot gets even,
0: me. Yeah, you cannot yeah. even write. But I've heard that people have had profound experiences coming out of a Vipassana journey yeah. where you know, your mind is like we mentioned, like the meditation, your mind is going to try to throw everything at you happens for the first day, the second day, the third day, and the third or the fourth day, your mind gets tired. And when your mind gets tired, you automatically reduce the signal to noise ratio. And once that happens, you start observing things more information, like crazy information might just pop out. Mm -hmm. Have you tried? So a lot of the people I speak to are, you know, doing a lot of crazy kind of things, like biohackers. And one of the things that is getting acceptance these days is plant medicine journeys. Have you, do you know someone or have you experienced any plant medicine journey yet? Or do you I intend haven't. to?
2: I would. Um, I think as well, it, you have to be very careful as to why you're doing this and mm-hmm. the state of mind of where, where you're at in your journey, where you are going to take these because I still see a lot of escapism, um, a lot of people who maybe aren't ready like mentally mature enough mm-hmm. and they go down the rabbit hole with this. So I, one of my friends actually, you can see that it's – They see it as an enlightened way and that they have a lot more understanding, Mm -hmm. but they're reliant on this, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it needs to be used as a tool. Then, yes, for sure, it can open you up, especially like microdosing stuff like this. There's been a lot of studies with like um, psychedelics and anxiety and all that. Fair enough. If it's used as a tool and you get these benefits that are long lasting and you can reflect upon it. But when you start again, just abusing it and taking it for that kind of released, um, to basically it is a release it's an escapism from your own reality right so mm-hmm. when they start wanting that escapism all too much
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's when you need to be like hey you're not using it in not the right or wrong it's no right and wrong but in a way that's beneficial argument, yeah. to you
0: this is for all of those guys who i've spoken to and they're like i'm on my 20th ayahuasca journey and i'm like you don't need to go to the 20 year journey. Like yeah. it's clearly something isn't working yeah. for you. Like, you and know,
2: it's people that are generally as well that you find they've had maybe addictions or substance abuse in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. But now all of a sudden, oh, it's acceptable because it's an enlightened way. And I'm like, well, no, actually, because your old person, your systems who gets mm. attached to this kind of, um, theory of, yeah. um, Relying addictions yeah. and stuff. It's still present, but you're just seeing it as a healthier thing. It's same people who are addicted to the gym. People are addicted to basically su- super strict diets. It's mm-hmm. like you've just swapped one thing that was necessarily bad for you for something that you deem as a little bit better, mm-hmm. but it's the still, the you're program- still relying on something. Yeah. The programming's still there, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And uh, do you think there if you could be a if you had your own school and things like that? Do you think the future of education should have things built in like yoga for kids at a younger age or meditation or breath work? Do you, are you in the camp of supporting things like that?
2: 100%. I would love to go into schools now because that's a whole different subject, but I do think that they have it slightly wrong, particularly in like the West and stuff. I think just teaching, especially teenagers and even kids, to be honest, just how to...
0: Self-regulate.
2: Self-regulate to yeah. rely on themselves. But then that comes into we're giving the control back and do, do people actually want all these kids thinking for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same. I think there's just too much pressure on kids from a very young age up until 16 to have it figured out. Yeah, The testing systems, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> it doesn't help this anxiety kind of generation that we're bringing up, right? I think that all needs to be stripped back. And I'm not sure about you but the thing that i decided i was going to do at 16 i am not doing it at all but i'm way happier and a healthier human do you know what i mean yeah so i think it's yeah it's teaching that self-regulation through yoga and teaching more kind of just life skills like say hey you know what what you think is important now and what you think you're going to be doing in 10 years forget it and teach them how to deal with change because it's just it's a constant flux right we don't know i actually posted about this yesterday the things that we planned very rarely happened, mm-hmm. but life becomes so much more beautiful when we're able to just adapt to the change and say, okay, this is coming into my life. Yeah. Let's see where that goes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I uh, always think that we make plans and then God laughs
2: because
0: exactly. um, plans never work out up to a certain point. I mean, you can be prepared for a lot of things, but chances are that... Uh, life will always, there is only one consistent thing in life, which is change. Change. And this change will always show up. And the better you are, the more adaptive your nervous system response is to the change. Because I see a lot of people, they've been planning for things, including myself, you know, at various points of my life, you've been planning on something and something's going to happen just this way and I have everything figured out. And then suddenly something happens and then you're like destroyed. because you were either not taught or you weren't put into situations where you were, you know, you saw change as a positive thing. And you said like, you know what, it didn't work out like I wanted it to be, but this can be something better. And I think having hope Mm -hmm. is a very key essential to this because a lot of people that I see and I speak to don't have a lot of hope in things. And when you don't have hope in things, then you know, you're suddenly your amygdala kicks kicks in, you're uncertain about things, and then all these emotions keep coming. So, I would also agree that if you're listening to this and if you're like a director of a school or a university or something like that, or even like you know, a company, spend more time or like invest a little bit in having these essential practices like yoga, breath work, movement built in. So, the future generations that come in are more regulated, self-regulated yeah. in a bit. And we speak about breathwork. Now, yoga has, I mean, yoga and a lot of other disciplines have one of the things is like breathwork core embedded in it. Why do you think breathwork is so important?
2: Oh, it's just, it's going to sound really like simple, but it, it is the act of bringing more oxygen into the body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's again with the breath work pranayama, it's tapping into a different nervous system, it's slowing you down, mm-hmm. and again, it's the it regulates. Yeah, yeah. So, this is the power of the breath within the practice, and especially if you're able to link that breath with the movement, the effect it has of being able to move, of being able to be in action, but be in that parasympathetic state,
0: mm-hmm.
2: showing yourself that. I can exert energy without with ease right without yeah. the kind of
0: Jitterness jitteriness and jitteriness
2: yeah. it's just for me it's just showing yourself that actually I can act and I can exert without killing myself yeah without being this kind of and I think it's about putting energy out and noticing that the energy you can put out can actually replenish you rather than
0: Take you all out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Is there any uh, special breath work that you teach or anything that you can tell the audience today that they can, uh, you know, if it's safe to do so, and if you're not driving, then, um, you know, take some time off and um, practice this.
2: I always at the end of my classes to again, drop the system down. If you want more of a relaxing breath, um, I don't believe in set numbers for set people because mm-hmm. some might be able to breathe up to a count of six, like others, you know, others might be able to go up to seven, others might be three, right? So what I try and do is make the exhale twice mm-hmm. as long as the inhale.
1: Okay.
2: Exhale has more of the effect of softening,
1: mm-hmm. of
2: dropping into stillness. Yeah. So i say if you breathe in for a count of three, hold at the top. And then exhale for a count of
1: six.
0: That breath work, ladies and gentlemen, has put me into a parasympathetic (laughs) system just
2: from one breath.
0: Just from one breath, and you will you will figure it out yourself because when you're stressed and when you're um, you know anxious or you know all those emotions that we've spoken about, one of the things that you will notice is that you're breathing very shallow and you're breathing quite a lot so you're you're like you're doing this all the time and this see- is
2: what i want to say as well try not to breathe from the upper portion of the chest try and bring it in and out from the belly
1: mm-hmm. so
2: then you've got a deeper breath you're stimulating your diaphragm as well so then you've got more expensive again more oxygens coming into the system and then yeah
0: that is, that is very interesting because a lot of people, yeah, most of us, they, we breathe into our chest and we don't allow the breath to go right into our diaphragm. And what happens is your chest has something called as barrel receptors and the barrel receptors are linked with a stress hormone in the body called cortisol. So every time you, you breathe like something like that, when you're stressed or nervous, you activate those barrel receptors and then as a result your body automatically increases stress hormones inside. And the time you breathe completely inside in your diaphragm, like and you'll feel your ribcage expand and then your diaphragm expand, that's the time you hit, you keep in more oxygen, but at the same time you retain that oxygen as well. And one of the things that you will see a lot of ancient yogis and tai chi masters and Monks in the Shaolin um, temple do a lot is that they breathe they don't breathe as much they breathe very less. There's also a saying which says that you know your life is how many breaths you take, and the more the more you breathe the short you're shortening your lifespan and we see this in animal models right you have you have the bluehead whale, which breeds up to six times per minute and which stays alive for like about 200 years. There's the naked mole rat, which is genetically everything in that naked mole rat is very similar to its cousin rats, but it can live up to 15 times more because it breeds up to seven breaths per minute. No way. Yeah. The tortoise, which lives up to 150 years or 200 years, they're having three breaths per minute. And what happens is, When you're breathing, there are two components of it. One is oxygenizing your blood, but there is another thing. When you breathe in and you exhale slowly, and normally I like to tell people to do it from not mouth breathe, but breathe from the nose and exhale from the nose. You're taking all this oxygen in, like, and then you're exhaling slowly, and what that does is it builds a back pressure, Mm -hmm. and what happens is your body gets more carbon dioxide than oxygen, and which is not a bad thing because when I was growing up, everyone told me carbon dioxide is just a metabolic byproduct of lactic acid formulation and things like that. But carbon dioxide has other benefits because every time you increase the amount of carbon dioxide in your blood, there, your red blood cells have hemoglobin which transports oxygen. And there's a curve which is called the oxy- oxygen disassociation curve which is every time carbon dioxide goes up, your red blood cells dump all the oxygen in the body. Mm-hmm. So you might, have, you might be breathing in a lot, but if you don't have enough carbon dioxide, if you don't sustain that exhale, mm-hmm. then chances are that oxygen it doesn't get dumped in the blood cells very well. And now you have other people who are even more interesting and they have these machines called as carbinogen and things like that. And they literally take in more carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide is also shown if you have higher levels of it, it can also activate the pituitary gland, and it mm-hmm. can ha- make you have outer body experiences. A lot of you know things that they teach in Kundalini yoga and breathwork styles like holotropic breathwork uh, are designed around this phenomenon that when you have more carbon dioxide in your cells, then you you have more benefits. So take that time to exhale, and normally you'll see. A lot of people who are stressed out or a normal person would breathe up to 15 times per minute this is a normal person then you see a person who's stressed out and their breath rate goes up to 20 to 25 times per minute and the ones who are really really sick they can breathe up to 30 times per minute but then when you see people who are very self-regulated and you know who are calm and patient and all these enlightened beings and the sadhus that you see in india they're breathing up to like five to six times per minute, taking in an air volume of maybe two liters. And the, the ones who are, you know, just a bit stressed, they would probably be taking an air volume of six liters per minute. So slow your breathing down, make it count. It's not just breathing in a lot of oxygen. You need to make sure that that oxygen disassociates from the red blood cells as well. So that's something that uh, everyone could take uh, in. I like in.
2: Breath lesson. Yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, if you're if you're on the topic of that, then why not? That's true. Now, you are. You know, you did a retreat in zanzibar Do you have anything else planning um, outside UAE anytime soon?
2: Outside UAE no okay. in UAE, yes.
0: Tell us about what's coming on. Um, Where can we find you?
2: And um, what's coming? Obviously, when the weather gets better, I have a business boot camp for mm-hmm. yoga teachers, freelancers, small businesses. Um, because I found that our community, we are very good at what we do, but we're not very good with the kind of business side of it, right? Mm-hmm. No one taught us how to market ourselves. No one taught us how to do a personal brand. No one told us that we had to do a strategy for bloody Instagram and all this kind yeah. of stuff, right? Yeah. So me and my very good friend Lucy Mead, who has been in marketing for over 15 years, I think, um, we've come together and we're going to do a business boot camp. But it's kind of like a day retreat, right? So mm-hmm. you'll come, you'll do a yoga class, you'll learn good stuff. You'll do like a fire and ice session or a Reiki session as well. Amazing. Then we carry on the learning. We have lunch, breakfast. So it's like, it's like we want you to learn, but we want it to be a kind of a reset for you as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just all nourishment for your business, but also for mm-hmm. some time for you. I'll do the same retreat just for yogis um, the month after, and then what else? Now my I'm at the process of moving my online school as well.
0: Okay, that's so that's that, good. Congratulations. Thank
2: you. That's gonna that's the big one. I'm like, oh, it's just so much like deep work, uh-huh. but this is Touch where that's Yeah, this is where I'm hoping I can reach more people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, are you doing any classes in the specific um, academy right now? What's your day-to-day schedule look like? You're doing more personal training.
2: At the moment, I'm just doing PTs. I have one group class a week at Bear in MOE. Yeah. Um, a handstand class and a yoga class, but I've stopped my group classes for now for summer. Okay. Apart from those two,
0: is it because you're focusing on other things, or is it? Yeah,
2: and I think you know, like Dubai is very seasonal. Mm -hmm. It's from pretty much September till like May. Yeah. My clients and stuff get lighter, obviously, in the summer. Everyone's traveling. So summer for me is the reset for myself. Okay. My group classes are very creative. I feel like in order to serve them better, I take a little bit of time away, Mm -hmm. replenish myself, get things in order, and then my creativity comes back to then serve again.
0: Amazing. That sounds good. Yeah. And if someone wants to find you, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
2: Instagram, probably.
0: Instagram, that's Sarah White.
2: Yeah, Sarah White with a H or Sarah underscore White. S-A-R-A for alpha, not I because of my accent.
0: We will put that (laughs) in the show notes. And if you guys uh, really want to get in touch with her, you can go onto my Instagram and we've just posted a story and I've mentioned her there. Sarah, we're, you know, I don't even know what's the time right now, but I think we'll be coming to the end of this interview. And um, one of the questions that I'd like to ask you is, if you had a time machine and if you could rewind back time and you could go on to go on to meet your younger self to give her one, two or three, whatever, you know, pieces of advice. What would that be? And you take your time to think.
2: Oh man, That's made me emotional. Cause I just, I want to go back and hug her.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like I feel like my younger self was so lost. Number one. I'm very, not, not that I was sad, but I just, I, the world felt heavy, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, stop giving a shit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'd tell her she's going to be fine.
1: Yeah.
2: And I'd probably tell her to... Start singing? <laughs> start singing. I don't know if she could do that. Start singing. But I think <laughs> the biggest thing that I have now learned with being here in Dubai and being a little bit older was I've always been a commitment phob and I've always been this person that's like, I want to be as free as possible. I don't want to commit. I don't want anything in my name because I need to be ready to go. And I don't know where that mindset come from. Mm -hmm. So I think I'd tell my younger self, like I thought taking the risks was being able to like, just leave at a drop of a hat. Right. Yeah. But I would tell her, look, take more risks, invest more, stop looking at life as if you're not going to be there in a year and whatever decisions that you're making, just make the right ones from there rather than thinking about it's not going to last, Mm -hmm. right? So now I'm trying to switch myself as in commit to things to make your life better because I know that it's kind of done me an injustice back then. I Mm -hmm. should have invested in things and done things properly from the start Mm -hmm. and I would have if I didn't have this fear of commitment. Mm. so I'll be like commit Sarah
0: okay so that's some good pieces of advice that you can learn from her and probably give your if you have a person who's young and upcoming you can give them this advice or you can take this advice into your own life or into your own kids and you said you wanted to hug your younger self but I'll hug your older self come Uh here give me a hug
2: just older not old right <laughs> yeah
0: just just whatever you are at this moment thanks and um, Sarah honestly this has been a fantastic interview thank you so much for coming in to the studios and you know just sharing yourself being telling us all about your life being wonderful because I think it that's what a lot of people need right now everyone is a lot stuck up and you know when they see other people opening up there is always an emotional side to everyone's story mm-hmm. and the more you're able to talk about it or share it i feel that there is some kind of energy that gets released as well i really appreciate for you for all the work that you've been doing all the greatness you've brought to the world all the healing that you've brought to the world Mm -hmm. thanks (laughs) and uh yeah any any last pieces that you want to tell the audience before we sign up
2: no that's it peace and love to you all a fabulous beautiful day wherever you are
0: All right, so that's about it, guys. This is me, CJ, signing out from Shift with CJ podcast. Everyone have a great and energetic day, a week, a month, a year, a lifetime ahead of you. Take care now. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.